Welcome to A Spice of Orange. I'm Jenny Ballmer. Today, I'm talking with two candidates for Fullerton City Council. Ahmad Zara, who's running for re-election in District 5, representing South Fullerton, and Dr. Shana Charles, running for the newly created District 3, representing East Fullerton, mild neighborhood by Cal State Fullerton State College. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how these districts were created and what uh, the candidates' priorities are if they win, uh, and, and stick around till the end where we talk about the nasty side of local politics where um, personal and vicious attacks uh, against people who are serving. Um, and uh, as Ahmad says, follow the money. Uh, and, and we can see some of these shadowy uh, funding sources in our local politics. So let's get started. Welcome to a Slice of Orange. Today I'm talking with two candidates for Fullerton Council, Ahmad Zara for District 5 and Dr. Shana Charles for District 3. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So Fullerton, like many Orange County cities, has moved to a district ele election system where voters are divided into five districts and vote once every four years for somebody who lives in that district to represent them. And so prior to that, Fullerton used the at-large citywide system. We're kind of in this transition, and then we added redistricting to it. So there's a bunch of changes that I know a lot of voters are not paying attention to. I've heard from a number of people of, you know, I got my ballot. How come I'm not voting for city council? And this is why we have this district. So if you're if you don't have city council on your ballot this year, you will in two years. Um, one advantage in a city of this size is that it allows candidates to walk the district, literally knocking on doors and asking for their neighbor neighbor's votes, which I know both of you have been doing, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, Ahmad, you were elected in 2018 to the first district-based uh, election. Um, so this is re-election for you on the same ballot was Jesus Silva for District 3, but the redistricting changed the map and uh, drew him out of District 3. And so now he lives in District 2, which will be on the ballot in two years. All of that to say that these two districts, 3 and 5, whoever wins in November will join the current district council members, District 1 represented by Fred Jung, District 2 represented by Nick Dunlop, and District for, uh, represented by Bruce Whitaker. So I think we're caught up. <laughs> um, so what I want to start with is why are you running? What are your top priorities? And so we'll start with you, Iman, and then have Shana answer the same question. Thank you, uh, uh, Jody, for um, a little, little background and context on, on the districts. Uh, yes, I was the uh, first a person to ever be elected directly in a district election and the first person to ever be elected to represent the southeast part of Fullerton. Uh, the reason I ran the first time and I, I continue to, to run is because this these neighborhoods down here are neighborhoods that I've lived in for 21 years in the heart of this district uh, had never ever had a voice and we have um, the highest number of uh, of renters in the district. It's, I'm a renter myself. Um, we have uh, higher rates of uh, criminal activity. We have the uh, an, the poorest uh, open space district and the highest density. Uh, so it, it has very unique challenges 
and no one was ever talking about this. Uh, we are impacted the most by housing, the housing crisis that we have, by poverty. Uh, in fact, child poverty in Fullerton, uh, which has been my biggest focus, was is a 50 percent uh, in our elementary schools. This oh, is, and most that's, that's just amazing. Fifty percent yeah, child poverty. Yes, fifty percent of uh, of our and I, I, that's not even counting the high school. So you have and when where are all our Title One schools concentrated? All of them in South Fullerton, south of Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So this is a a really important um, uh, factor. Poverty is is really rampant in our city, and that's really why I wanted to run. I wanted to make sure that people have a quality of living uh, and opportunities. And also making sure that we have equity in our city so that we bring resources that are fair. And and this translates to every single element that I fought for, whether it's housing, whether it's traffic safety, whether it's public safety in general, uh, whether it's um, uh, uh, housing our unhoused. All of these things uh, are are really important. That's what what I'm going to continue doing. Good. Thank you. Shana. Yeah, so I really uh, think District 3 has some unique features as well, especially with the way it's been drawn. The original map had that spokes of a wheel aspect where all of the spokes converged in downtown. And now what we have instead is this kind of four corners, four states look to it where it meets over on Euclid and Malvern, but then um, from State College East is where District 3 is now. And so it's this part of East Fullerton and this is a, a very interesting district because we're the only one that has a freeway running directly through it. We're a right. district that has three universities, not just Cal State Fullerton, which is Fullerton's biggest employer, but also Hope and Ketchum, and three K through 12 districts. Um, we've got the two for Fullerton and then also Placentia Yorba Linda. And even one of the candidates who's running against me, uh, I heard him say that he wasn't aware that where I live uh, right next to the Gem District is actually part of Fullerton. Uh, so you can see that's pretty rampant um, that people don't even know that where we are on the border of Placentia and Brea is actually part of Fullerton. And so with Jesus Silva being uh, redistricted out, I felt it was an opportunity for me to run and bring this perspective of not only a public health perspective coming from Cal State Fullerton. I am a public health professor, tenured professor on that campus and can help build a bridge between the campus and community, but also a working mom perspective. As you uh, know, and as your listeners probably know, the council is five men currently. There are no women on the council and I am the only woman running in either race. And so, you know, for winning the seat would bring back that gender diversity and bring a new perspective that our council hasn't had for the last two years. And also, uh, my my last priority is really listening to every voter in a very active way. Um, And Councilman Zara has done such a great job of this. I might really, you've been a model um, for what I think uh, council people should do from here forward and what I intend to do, which is not just knock on doors and talk to people when you're running for office, but continue that. And and I do this as a, a public health professor. I mean, it's part of public health, it's part of being a professor. We have office hours. And that's something I'm just used to doing. And when I win this seat, I really uh, want to make sure that I, I do a good job of it and make sure I stay connected to you know every person in this community. And I'm very proud that my campaign has connected with college students and seniors, everybody in between with renters. And again, I am a renter also uh, because in this market, 
it's very difficult. I've, I've been a homeowner in my life. And of course, the crashes happen. And, uh, you know, as a working mom, I'm, I'm still a renter. And I understand what that's like and what those pressures are like as well. And also, uh, you know, talking to the homeowners here in this community and also thinking from north to south. Another interesting aspect of District 3 now is that it is also the only district that actually crosses north and south Fullerton both. And I think, as Ahmad just said, there really is a distinction between the way that South Fullerton has been developed versus the way of North Fullerton has been developed. And my district includes both. So along with um, bordering things like Craig Park and Tri-City, you know, these really kind of state parks that are so um, expansive and beautiful. And then we have uh, parks that are for our city parks that are more neglected, like Gilman and Chapman, which have been, you know, very neglected on maintenance. So uh, I'm hoping to be able to be a voice for all of this at the council. Yeah, and and that and that park um, disparity is is so stark, and I and I really was reminded of that during the pandemic, where so many of my students are living in high density areas with apartments and just you know didn't have a place to walk, didn't have a place to go, and you have to drive to a park where right. you know I, I I live in Bray, and we've got the incredible tracks where you can walk and we have a lot of, of open space. And, and that lack really is a, a big health disparity when you don't have access to nature, when you don't have access to safe places to take your kids. Um, yeah, and, and so I'm glad student, you both mentioned that. If you're a student living on campus, if you want to go to the other part of the district, you have to walk under or over a freeway. And that's another aspect that really hasn't been discussed. Um, and also Caltrans has you know, only a chain link fence separating the 57 from the rest of it. So we do get all that air pollution spillover as well and the noise pollution as well. Yeah. And one thing I also need to mention is that the affordable housing issue is such a big issue in this district. Uh, We are going to have new developments being built um, that have been approved under the council. Those are going on Chapman. And so as those get built, it's important to make sure that they are connected with transportation, you know, with overflow, keeping that in mind. But then we also have Cal State Fullerton as an independent entity building itself up. Their master plan mm-hmm. includes thousands more dormitory rooms. It includes um, housing for faculty members who currently we don't have housing either. <laughs> it includes right. all of these issues that are going to be happening within the city that um, really the council and the city should be working in partnership with them to make sure that this is smart, sustainable development. And, uh, you know, both Ahmad and, and my districts, we're going to have such high density just in the next five years. Uh, we need to make sure to, to do that in, in a way that's going to benefit the city overall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Ahmad, did, did you want to add something? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've been, I've been talking to, to voters and residents uh, for the last five years. Uh, so it uh, you know, uh, I don't usually just knock doors during elections, but um, and I, I think I've hosted over 150. I was counting over 150 community meetings and neighborhood meetings and town halls and tackled really hard subjects. But one, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that we can talk about has been uh, really on the forefront. And we are as a city um, uh, required now and mandated by state laws to to provide um, a, a new zoning plan and a, a, to to accommodate for more diverse housing stock, and this is a time really the, a very crucial time to look at our map. We have been actually discussing it, discussing it, 
And I've been the only one who has been trying to prioritize in that plan uh, of low income and moderate workforce housing, moderate income workforce housing. That has been, and I was very disappointed in the initial iterations of this of the plan where we're only adding 10% or allowing only developers to do 10% of low income and moderate income housing without having any plan to prioritize that. And because otherwise over the next eight years, we're not gonna even meet those numbers that the state is requiring, which we never did in the last housing cycle. These housing cycles are every eight years. So it is extremely important to have a, a renter like me, I'm proud to be the first renter ever elected to city council and Shana will be the second. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I, I also have been a homeowner and I've been a, and currently a renter, but these are, it is very important to, to be able to bring these perspectives and to be able to fight for this because I know that no one else on council or anyone who has uh, trying to challenge both of us don't have that ability uh, and knowledge right. or life experience and neighborhood experience to be able to say absolutely prioritize the low income and the moderate income housing. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I think homeowners are, are, are blissfully unaware of the incredible rent prices that, that are, you know, more expensive than my mortgage. Yeah. But I do want to say one more thing yeah. too, because yeah. you know, for home ownership, this is something also important because I think we need to create, it's not just rent, rent, uh, um, rental homes that we need to build, but we need also housing stock that is affordable for home ownership. Because Correct. we are excluding an entire new generation from the ability to have the pride of home ownership. We have not built enough of that. And sure. so I think we, we need to make sure that when we're building, when we're putting together a housing plan that is a diverse housing stock, that creates that mobility in the housing market that ultimately stabilizes all of it. You know, home ownership is the competition for rental. Right. So you need to create that balance in, in our housing stock in order to create a viable market and a sustainable market. Yeah. And I just want to point out one thing here, too, just because we throw around these words low and moderate income. And I think when we do that, most people are thinking, well, that means someone who makes thirty thousand dollars a year is low income. Right. In Orange County right now, the definition of low income is ninety thousand dollars a year. Right. And moderate income is up into the six figures. And so, I mean, and, and we're talking about, you know, these are people who are professionals, who are right. highly trained, who have graduate degrees possibly, or, you know, have a bachelor's degree with a, a great union-based job. And so they're making a good salary of $90,000 a year. Well, that's still low income. And if our median housing price is close to a million dollars, which is where it is now, it's still unaffordable. I mean, it's it's math, unfortunately, that it just doesn't right. work that on a, an $80,000 a year salary, which is considered to be a very good income, you just can't afford to buy a house at $900,000, $950,000 or, or over a million dollars. Right, right, absolutely. And, and and the Orange County Register has been writing about this for years, uh, that, that you need two incomes to rent an apartment um, and at fair market value. And, uh, you know, Brea had, low income housing and it was $80,000 and that was probably a decade ago. Uh, so I do, I do appreciate you clarifying that. So we've talked a little bit about, about this, but I'll just frame the question. Um, what are you hearing from residents? Uh, you know, you're knocking on doors, talking to voters. 
Often in election forums, the people who attend ask questions that have nothing to do with what average voters want to ask. And so share what you've learned in that process. Um, well, I, I, you know, like I said, I've been talking to, to residents for the last five years. Every neighborhood, the reason I like to go to do neighborhood meetings and, and go out in, in neighborhood walks is because our city is so diverse. Uh, we have different needs in different neighborhoods. And you'll see that even in just one district, you'll see different aspects of uh, and, and priorities. So, but I think overall, um, for me, I think in, in, in the Southside District 5 is, has been really impacted by uh, a higher rate of, of criminal activity, more so than other districts. Uh, I think that has been honestly the number one thing that I hear about um, at the door is, you know, my car was broken into, my car was stolen, my catalytic converter was stolen, um, my, um, my, you know, my, um, you know, Am those, I don't say Amazon, but, you know, the, my, uh, the things that we buy and they're porch thieves. Yeah. yeah these doors thieves. So all of this, and you'll see, you'll see a lot of this, but there were also, you know, my car, my, my household car was actually stolen from my own apartment yeah. complex, me and two others. So these are real issues that impact us. And the, and we, as council members, we have the privilege of getting, um, you know, the the uh, the reports daily on where the crime sure. is going on. And honestly, I mean, it ranges from really extreme crime and some act, uh, you know, um, violent activities to car to uh, automobile accidents to all kinds of things all of it and i go to the dispatch and you look at the dispatch uh, map and where all the responses are coming from and the calls it is mostly concentrated in the south side and that is something that is you know uh, really important to neighbors so that's one one thing the other thing of course is uh, opportunities we have not created um good opportunities for your younger generation to, to, to be able to stay in yes. um, our city and be and thrive in the city they 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 want to they their families are from so whether it's job opportunities uh, whether it's housing opportunities whether it's educational opportunities I don't think uh, as our, as a city we have done enough uh, and it has really impacted a lot of our neighborhoods that way so that is the uh, and the third thing I hear is uh, equity is that why is it that our neighborhoods have always been ignored? And that mm -hmm. is, and I have tried in my last four years on my first term to, to sort of explore what is, uh, what is really going on in the city to bring some equity. And I have experienced this firsthand. I really have. When I go in and I, uh, the first thing I ever did was go and try to get a stop sign for a park in, on Truslow that that people have been, their residents in that neighborhood have been fighting to get it for three years. I was able to do a full study and I went to the city engineer and he said I was the first council member to ever visit him in his 31 years in, in, mm -hmm. in office, in, in work. We got that stop sign, but we did multiple studies. That whole maple neighborhood turns out that it, were nine, it was deficient in nine other stop signs. These were required and they mm -hmm. were never put in. So we got them all done. We got, I did studies throughout to bring more traffic safety yeah. areas. These are 
this is fighting for resources for roads and and when we get a pot of money why is it that we're not getting a share of it and we've seen this and people have right. seen fight for this on council. And, and that's a big advantage to the district-based representation where you have somebody who is living in the neighborhood who is talking to the people and and really advocating for those neighbors so yeah i appreciate that shana what are, what are you hearing from people as you're going around district three so when I've been knocking on doors, I've heard quite a few people first say, wow, you're the first person ever running for council to stop at my door. And I've been living here for you know 20 years, 40 years, sure. however sure. long it is. And we do have some people who are you know native Fullertonians who are able to, to stay here and, and talk about that. And those folks, when they talk to me, are always very concerned about roads. That's the first thing that comes up is I need help with my roads being fixed right outside the house here. You can see the potholes. I mean, it's the biggest issue. And oftentimes what they'll say is, you know, that sales tax from a few years ago, I would have voted for it if it had been smaller and just for roads. And I understand, uh, you know, why it wasn't like that. And and I I get that. And, you know, at the time I voted for the sales tax, I'll, I'll say, because I want to make sure that Fullerton has revenue sources to be able to do what it needs to do. But I just think it's interesting that they bring that up spontaneously to me. Um, and it has happened multiple times where they say that they're willing to do something in the future, maybe, that would match these things. I, I feel like that's an openness to you know possibilities for the future that might happen. But the second thing that I hear quite a bit about is uh, the homeless population, uh, especially around the um, underpasses and those kind of things in in our areas and people asking about, well, what services can we do for the homeless? And then I I talk about how we've opened up these regional centers, how um, we've opened up uh, Project Hope to hopefully bring some mental health services to the homeless and and those kind of issues that Fullerton has done that with um, Ahmad's leadership on the council, uh, which has been really great with that issue and also was part of what I helped with as chair of the Community Development Citizens Committee, giving funding for those kind of things. But that, you know, we know we're not done yet, that there's more to do. These things are being implemented over time. And that's a big issue. And I I will say one other issue that's come up often, people miss the holiday celebrations that make Fullerton special. They miss first night. They miss the Uh 4th of July fireworks. And I really feel that those need to come back to help improve our city's character. Yeah, absolutely. That those community events are are really important to people. And so, one of the things that I hear all the time is that people feel so disconnected from their local community. They, you know, get all of this bombardment of news about national politics and government, and and sometimes just don't know how to be engaged in their local community. And um, Ahmad, you really have. I I, I do want to really commend you because you've done so much in your first term. Um, for for town halls. And and I always try to share that information with my students. I will also note, um, you get an A plus from me in answering emails from my students. Um, Often they will email all of the council members in their town. And I, everybody who says, oh, I emailed Ahmad Zara, and he emailed me back immediately. So um, I know that's completely selfish, but it's indicative of um, your responsiveness. And I really appreciate that. I think it's discouraging when young people are trying to get involved and they hear nothing from their own elected leaders until they're running for office. Um, so, so what, what do you, what have you learned from those experience and what are your plans for the next term? And then I'll ask Shana uh, what her plans for engagement are. Yeah, I, I've, 
tried my best to engage as many people as I could. And, 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 you know, I've always tried to respond to everybody, um, uh, hosted so many meetings. And again, it was any, you know, not just, uh, uh, students and and young folks, but seniors, um, people who are um, in who live in you know the residents in in neighborhoods that are that have never been ever visited before and always ignored. Uh, I I make an effort to go out to those neighborhoods even throughout my term. Now my term unfortunately got eaten up half of it by COVID, so uh, there was a lot more I wanted right. to do on that, um, but. You know, but even then, I was because of my connections to the neighborhoods. Um, I was able to even know, know exactly what buildings and who, what families are struggling during COVID. I mean, we were doing food drives, and even when we doubled the rent assistance, we worked with the community partners on the ground to go out and knock doors and, and into those particular uh, buildings and say, "We have resources for you. Do you need it?" I was. I knew the families and the residents who, who couldn't come out to the food drives and we'd pack my car and go out and doing uh, and it to their homes. So I think community engagement helps in so many ways in understanding the needs and making sure that you're responsive quickly to those, to those needs as well. And that's really something um, I've tried to elevate uh, it, this is not about, hey, vote for me, and then uh, you know I'll disappear and do a bunch of things right. that you don't know about. Um, I've elevated even the connection on social media because I know a lot of people are on social media, and I think I'm the only one who has consistently posted for, for the last four and five years on not only Facebook, but Instagram, and I haven't gotten to TikTok yet. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Shana, what are your plans for engagement? Yeah, and and I do want to say again that I do think of Ahmad as a, a model in this. I think he's really got a lot of great ideas, and I've been, uh, you know, following him since he was elected, and and get updated from city council meetings from his perspective, you know, because they don't post the minutes until a month, you know, two weeks later, and uh, so having that uh, you know, notice more immediately has always been really great, and and all those community meetings. So taking that as a model, you know, and putting my own spin on it um, for District 3, you know, I'm really going to make sure that I have regular scheduled so people know when they are and, and definitely utilize social media along with any other you know media platforms that I can uh, to publicize that I'll be doing these once a month meetings that will rotate throughout the district. And for me, if I, I need to calendar it because I'm, I'm teaching six classes at Cal State Fullerton right now. I have two kids, each with their own special needs. Things need to be on my calendar to make sure it's done. Sure. So I'm planning on doing like sure. an annual calendar of this to make sure every neighborhood gets hit. And, you know, in terms of the neighborhoods, you've got the kind of Rolling Hills, Craig Park neighborhood, Gem District, but you also have the dorms on campus, the apartments around campus, Chapman Park in the south you know, all of these different neighborhoods. And I plan on making sure that I have a, a neighborhood place to meet those. And then, you know, we talk a lot about the media and how we can publicize these things. But one of the things that I have found, you know, through this campaigning process and, and out there talking to people, most people don't go to the city's website. Most people don't follow the social media. Most people aren't connected in that way. And so you really do need to go old school, print out some flyers, post them in those 
places, post them in the local Starbucks, post on the community bulletin right. board, post them in the dorm bulletin boards, post them, uh, you know, hand, walk on people's neighborhoods and, and let them know that this is happening, you know, with a flyer. And I think that those kind of things will be effective. Talk to the homeowner associations, right? So there's these developments up on the hill um, on Bastion Cherry, off Bastion Cherry, where, um, you know, they have homeowners associations, gated communities. Well, if you are, you know, friends with or familiar with, connected with the uh, you know, the presidents of those associations, I have actually one in my complex too, um, in our townhome complex. Those are the people that can disseminate information to all of their residents just in the newsletter that the local council person is doing this meeting. Here's something you might be interested in and doing it not only in person, but I think also on Zoom now that everybody's familiar with it. Pre-pandemic, I was actually using Zoom already for my online classes and a project that I have that goes California statewide with faculty members up and down the state. So I was very familiar with Zoom, but uh, I had to train a lot of other people <laughs> in sure, 2020. Sure. But now everybody's familiar with it. And I think we can keep on using that tool to make sure that we are accessible, you know, not right. just people who can show up in person. And, and I want to thank you, by the way, for recognizing that students are voters. Um, and 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 that they're residents of Fullerton. I think so often people just feel like Cal State Fullerton is the commuter campus of 1970 and no one actually lives in the community. And I lived on the east side for a long time when I was a student, both undergrad and graduate school. And I never felt like the city of Fullerton ever connected with the east side of Fullerton. So I so appreciate that. Well, you, and the funny thing is, is when yeah. I moved here in 20 years ago was when I moved to Fullerton. Um, I, at the time, was getting married at the Summit House and I was marrying a Fullerton a long time. You know, he, he was born here. Uh, and uh, so we moved down here to be closer to his family and, and, and to, uh, you know, raise our kids here. And I actually moved into the Homestead Complex, which, as everybody who lives on the east side knows, is the big, humongous complex apartment complex that's right next to the 57 and you know for years I the homestead was my home and mm -hmm. you know getting to know those neighbors I'm the kind of person that does like to still meet my neighbors and talks to people no matter what uh you know and a lot of them were students uh walking across the freeway every day and you know people live here for years Correct. in those complexes you know Correct. and and in these townhome area here so treating them like even five years or four years of their life as a, as a transitory period just makes no sense at all. I mean, right. we and, to... and you have the opportunity to capture them, to make them want to be involved and to use yeah. their expertise. I, you know, and they it's might just... fall in love with the city like of I did and stay course. here for 20 years. <laughs> right, right. So, so a couple of governing questions, kind of moving away from the campaigning and, you know, Fullertonians still lack faith and trust in their police, not just because of what was revealed during the Kelly Thomas tragic murder by police and all the, the Fullerton police handled the previous city manager's DUI. A police officer was cited for a DUI in La Habra. Um, we now have, you know, hired by the city council and the city manager and, and a, a new police chief. Um, do you have faith that the, the current police chief's ability to change the culture and policy of that department so um, one of the things that um, that I focused on a lot, and I, I don't think anyone has has been as engaged um, as I have in in the in the matter of safety, because public safety isn't just about increasing police. It isn't just about increasing patrol time. It is also about making sure that the the police and the community are engaged together, and there's there's a harmony and there's a, there's a proper connection. 
because it, it also involves um, preventative measures. Now, preventing um, um, the repeat of the the of the Kelly Thomas killing, and what we've seen around the country um, in in George the the killing of and the murder of George Floyd. These are all lessons for us to learn and improve. And I have really seen this the chief uh, done because we started actually on the same at the same time. He was sworn in when I was sworn in in that same same time period. And I've really worked closely to him to try to change um, the the culture and and make sure that we that our police are connected with the neighborhoods. We have done more community meetings and outreach into uh, the communities uh, of color within our neighborhoods, the low income communities, because these are the ones that are most affected by crime. Um, and I wanted to make sure also that we are um, changing some of our uh, strategies in responding, let's say, to, to people protesting. Uh, when we first came out uh, when uh, after the killing of George Floyd and people wanted to protest. And I was one of the, the people who helped organize one of the largest protests here in, in Fullerton. And I stood there out in the front and I said, we are going to make change. And our chief has really responded. We did two town hall meetings. And as a result of those meetings and hearing feedback from the community. And I met with a lot of different perspectives and people because everybody has, to, we all have to come together to be able to improve um, our departments, whether it's police or fire, or public works or, or economic development. We are, uh, we, from that, we were able to change, uh, the, the chief no longer puts, um, uh, any police presence in any of the uh, the protests that come out, other than just helping manage traffic, uh, that is a huge thing that the change. No more police presence in these allow people the ability to protest. And then number two, uh, we did a lot of changes, and you can look at those whether it's uh, bringing the, uh, the, the some a third party independent. Uh, it's called the in, the independent. Um, Office of Independent Review, sorry, uh, where we have uh, an independent third party that would investigate an, or any kind of incidences within this, within the uh, an audits of the police, um, and we were able to um, again, like I said, connect with neighborhoods in ways that our department hadn't connected in the past, and I think those are really important things uh, to be able to make sure that we're moving forward and creating real and harmonious public safety. And, and I know you guys have time limitations because you're, you know, trying to get out on the streets and actually campaign. But, but Shana, if you can briefly answer that about, you know, public safety and, and, and police. Sure. And I think it's so important uh, that we do have community engaged public safety. I mean, that's really the key here. I've been pleased to see that uh, the new police chief has been focused on that as well and answered all of my questions when I had a chance to meet with him, uh, talking about de-escalation training, talking about diversity and, and really focusing on that. Um, when I asked about community advisement board, uh, he told me one had already been established and was headed up by a key volunteer, um, Eglint Nunsi, who is a part of District 5 and, and the Center for Healthy Neighborhoods. It's also affiliated with my department at Cal State Fullerton and does so much 
um, for the community. And, and there, there is this community advisory board that he's listening to. So I feel like the chief, you know, really is in the right direction. I think a lot of his time was also swallowed up by COVID. I think this would be more widely known if we hadn't spent, you know, over two years kind of hiding in our houses, you know, and dealing with COVID and making sure that we didn't have those issues before kind of going out and engaging, you know, with the public. I mean, it's so hard to remember, but even just the beginning of this year, my campus was still shut down uh, because of the uh, Delta wave, not even the Omicron wave. And and classes were still entirely online. So we were just, you know, we just are, are now getting back into connection. And I think this police chief just needs some more time to, to make these things known, you know, around. One of the things I do want to say also is that people don't realize that we have a second police department in Fullerton, which is the Cal State Fullerton Police Department, which is entirely independent. Right. They're currently in the process of hiring a new chief. And uh, that process is something I'm paying a lot of attention to as well. Uh, and I would like to see, if possible, some more discussion. I understand there's jurisdictional boundaries but, you know, there have been some issues in the past where people come onto campus to do things like this, unfortunately, right before the pandemic, this poor tragedy that happened where this girl um, mm-hmm. from Troy walked across the street and committed suicide in one of our parking lots. And I actually talked right. to one of the police officers on her way up to jump from a very high place. And uh, he was not aware that she was being she was had had, had this meeting about suicidality yeah. or any of that. There just wasn't any communication. Right. And so when she said, you know, no, I'm fine. He just took that as a given and left. And then right. she jumped off of the parking lot. So just kind of more communication and coordination yeah. among all of and, our and, and our police are on the front line of the mental health crisis. Um, and, and it's so important that they get the proper training. Uh, and, and so I really appreciate what both of you are saying. Well, I, I will um, say also, I, I got to say, one of the things I do like also about Chief Dunn is that he is extremely supportive of social workers being that first point of contact. And uh, he really understands that. So, uh, you know, I'm confident that he's moving Fullerton in a, in a better direction and than it has been previously. Uh, and But one thing I would like to see in the future, I, I do know there are some outstanding cases like the Hector Hernandez case, which is still under that internal investigation. And I just would love to, I want to see that transparency, hopefully when right. that's complete, that we all will get the answers about that particular case and, and what happened there. Yeah. So I'm going to let you sign off, Shana, and, and go meet your volunteers to, to walk precincts. And then I've got a couple more questions for Ahmad if he's willing to, to stick around. Yeah, happy to. Thank you, Shana. Rooting for you. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate uh, being on this team. And uh, I feel like uh, when we're both on the council, we can hopefully bring everyone together to feel like a team that we can all improve Fullerton together and uh, be able to change some hearts and minds to move forward. Because I, I really feel like uh, the residents of Fullerton are counting on us to do that. So I'm, I'm excited to, to take that on. Thank you so much. Tell, tell for listeners me. where they can find your website and I'll throw it oh. in the show notes. Thank you for reminding me. It's uh, Shana for Fullerton, the number four, S-H-A-N-A for Fullerton.com. That is my website. You can also connect with me on Facebook where it's Shana Charles for Fullerton City Council or on Instagram as well. Good. Thank you so much. So Ahmad, I I wanted to talk to you, uh, you know, negative ads are a reality. We've got a, you know, shadowy oligarch millionaire in Brea that funds a lot of, you know, huge banners against um, some of my friends and 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 uh, public servants, but 
I have gotten a lot of questions and they, my friends and students have no idea what these attacks are, but they are everywhere. They are in the mail. They are yard signs. Um, Clearly you have made some enemies, which is often a really a sign of doing some really good work, but can can you explain, you know, my, my mailbox right now is full of terrible anti-Asian attacks on Jay Chen. Um, you know, and, and and when you actually get to the truth of it, you know, one attack mailer was talking about how he's funded by a shadowy Chinese man. And and knowing the truth, I'm like, that's his brother. That That's his American-born brother who was working in Hong Kong, who donated his campaign 10 years ago. You know, the truth of these negative ads are often so innocent and often the very thing that the powers that be are scared of. So I wanted to give you a chance to, to address them um, and, and tell us who's paying for these yeah. because somebody is spending a lot of money to try to control the outcome of this election. Yeah. So they do say, I mean, people are telling me, Hey, if you, if you haven't made enemies, you're not doing something. You, you didn't do any, you know, not yeah. right, what, right. What, one of my, one of my life goals is to have the Westboro Baptist church protest my funeral. <laughs> That's how uh, I'll know if I did it right. I, I have, done, I think, um, yeah, I've always tried to be a, a positive person and always tried to run uh, my campaign in a positive way. Uh, I I believe that my work in the last four years and my presence in the community and the people I have helped um, who are all coming out right now and saying, yes, you you know, we're standing with Ahmad. I think that is, you know, uh, more important to me than, you know, some random attacks that are motivated by um, really what it is financial gain in the end. Um, um, I, you know, uh, the person who, um, is, is running these and his name is, uh, his name is Tony Bushala. He's a local developer and, um, with ties to, um, the cannabis, um, I want to say, <laughs> with interests and ties to uh, some illegal cannabis activity. Uh, and we try to, um, an, you know, bring forward a ordinance that would regulate and allow for uh, the uh, for cannabis to be sold legally in areas that we manage and we, there's oversight and consumer protection and, and protections for kids and schools and so on. Um, of course, there's a, an illegal market that, um, you know, unless it benefits certain people, obviously, they would uh, not. Well, and, and, and that's what that's what so many of my friends who live in Fullerton complain about is there are illegal shops that pop up and pop up and pop up where our friends in Santa Ana who have regulated and legalized it, that the city is seeing massive revenue I, that could go I, to fix all of the problems. Yeah, I wanted but to. If, if cannabis is going to exist at state law, th- there is the question of what does the current council believe they're accomplishing by empowering illegal. Yeah, the, 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 the unfortunately, after we passed the, uh, this, the, the law, it was rescinded by a new council majority. Um, now, you got to always follow the money when it, you know, it comes to all of this, look at people's records, right? And who's funding ads either way. Um, the, again, and, and, and the negative ads against me ha- have been vicious and personal. 
Um, it, all of it is lies and misinformation and disinformation. Um, it's meant to just confuse uh, people. And uh, the idea is to suppress my vote in, in favor of their candidate. Um, mm -hmm. And you look at who's who they're funding. Um, it's really one developer. And so, you know, the question you have to ask is that why does a developer, a millionaire developer, spend so much money coming after one council member? That's the right. question that you have to ask. Right. Who has been, and, and not, not just any council member, I'm the one who has been out in the community more than any other council member in recent history and right. has helped so many people. And I've stood my grounds and never, never um, uh, did any vote that I believed was against our community. Yeah, and 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 the attacks are, are are as you said, just really vicious. And you, you know, I it really discourages me um, from getting people to to run for office and and to get involved in their communities when personal um, you know personal attacks are so incredibly vicious and public. Um, and and so I just yeah, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to sort of address that, and I appreciate. Um, that so, if what do you think that the outcome would be if if we could go back to the ordinance that was passed previously for cannabis? I think we would have been able to uh, generate um, at a conservative level. Uh, it would have generated about three to five million dollars annually, in which we I would have liked to put at least fifty percent. However, amount would have we had uh, the council would have agreed on, but portion of it would have been uh, towards education. Um, we are losing our after-school programs. Uh, we are, the city has now lost a lot of revenue and we're cutting services and all of these yeah. uh, um, important things that I thought this could be a good revenue source for. Um, the, other, the other thing is um, it would have allowed for consumer protection because I think government number one job is is safety and and consumer safety and protection is important right now we have all these illegal cannabis dispensaries all of them operating without any oversight without knowing wh where they're getting their products or, right. or who they're selling it to and uh they're all concentrated in the south side all yeah. of them in the, the poorer neighborhoods and so on and i think we would have had the ordinance would have had no, uh, no more than five uh, in the city, it was citywide, and then uh, without any concentration, uh, it, it had protections for that. It also had protections from um, <clears throat> gouging and uh, from landlords who have and and uh, operators, bad operators who have had um, illegal uh, activities, mm -hmm. which is, which would have excluded a lot of people coming after me. Um, yeah. Right. And from benefiting. And so this is because we need good operators to be able to provide the people who are legally buying it, who are allowed right. by the state to consume uh, this product, um, to, to buy it from places that are trustworthy. Correct. And Correct. This, this is, I think, would have, you know, would have shifted the market. People would have gone to the trustworthy uh, operators. Right. And, businesses, and then all of these illegal ones would have died. And we've seen that very successfully in Santa Ana and other very states. Very successfully. 
Yeah. And, and I think all too often, you know, we, we get trapped in our little city bubbles and we don't look at what other cities are doing. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about you and, and others in local government is the collaboration and discussions that you've had with people in other cities about like, let's, let's, let's share and, and best practices. And, and I think sometimes people get so focused on just the, the Fullerton way the Fullerton way of doing things. But behind all of it is, I mean, look, you know, again, you got to follow the money, look at the, the, the yeah. pack, the, this pack that this developer has been using to, uh, to hide his funding and to, to, yeah. you know, in fact, I think he's in violation of FPPC rules because he has not actually reported any funding yet to the, F, you know, publicly. So I think these are really right. important things to look at. And, and to see the responses from the other opponents that uh, that they who are being backed by this one developer, and why yeah. they are standing against regulating cannabis. Right. Why right. are they saying no? We don't want to regulate cannabis. What benefits us as a community from having an illegal an, an illegal market? Right. And 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 certainly if they're if they're talking to people living in the neighborhoods where the illegal shops pop up, it's it's a real public safety concern. Right. And and so they're they're certainly not listening to the people who are who are living next to those uh, shops. So I, well, I really appreciate it. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share where can people find you and 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 get connected. I am an open book, and I always have been. You can find me everywhere on social media. Uh, my uh, Facebook uh, page for my campaign is Ahmad Zara Official. Uh, same thing on Instagram, Omar Zara official, and uh, follow me, uh, message me, I respond. Um, um, and, you know, if there's tough questions, I'm ready to answer them. Uh, things I don't know, I'll let you know. Uh, things I can do, I will absolutely try to help in any, any way possible. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So good luck, walk in those neighborhoods, and uh, we'll see what happens on election day. I appreciate see. you. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Turlock, California and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Tisa Valiola. Um, if you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. As part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arujan Veed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the, uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.